Let's begin the way we always begin. We're going to begin with our young ones. I'm going to tell you all uh, what this passage is going to be about, what the sermon is going to be about, and get us all on the same page here. So, <clears throat> young ones, let me ask you a question. We're going to, we're, I'm going to give you a, a list of things here. I want you to tell me if this is in the Bible. Do you think this is in the Bible or not in the Bible? Okay? All right. Come on. Here we go. Uh, cleanliness is next to godliness. Do you think that's in the Bible or not in the Bible? Good news, it's not. So if your parents tell you, you can say, oh, that's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. Okay, how about this? It's better to give than to receive. Is that in the Bible or not in the Bible? Yes, it is in the Bible. Very good. It's better to give than to receive. How about this? Money is the root of all evil. No, it is not. That's good. Uh, but it does say love of money is the root of all evil. But money in itself, that's not evil. Right, how about this? Is this in the Bible? Fight the good fight. Yes, that is in the Bible. Good. How about this? You need to know, you need to know whether or not this is in the Bible. This too shall pass. It sounds like it should be. It's not. <laughs> there is no guarantee that whatever you're going, to, going through right now shall pass. Uh, suffering may go on, but what it does say is whatever you're going through right now, it is not worth comparing to the glory that awaits you. Okay? How about this? Uh, to thine own self be true. Is that in the Bible? Nope. That's Shakespeare. Sounds like it should be in the Bible. It's not. That's Shakespeare to thine own self be true. How about this? The truth shall set you free. Yes, that is in the Bible. How about this? You need to know if this is in the Bible or not. God will not give you more than you can handle. I wish it was. It's not. He will to it's totally the opposite. He will give you so much more than you can handle, which makes you run to him and rely on him and trust him. Uh, how about this? God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> Just no. Uh, no. That is not in the Bible. God, will, uh, God helps those who help themselves. No, that's actually why Jesus came. It's because we can't help ourselves, and we need Jesus because uh, we're helpless sinners. How about this? How about this? This is a good one. As Paul spoke on and on, a young man named Eutychus, sitting on the windowsill, became very drowsy. Finally, he fell sound asleep and dropped three stories to his death below. That's in the Bible. Crazy, which means if you tend to fall asleep in here, you cannot sit on that balcony up there, okay? I hope I never do that to any of y'all. Okay, Yeah. Paul. So, Paul, if I'm ever talking that long, Paul killed a guy. Um, okay, how about this one? Jesus gave the golden rule, which says to do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> no, that gets it wrong. The golden rule is not do unto others before they do unto you. It's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, which doesn't sound that crazy, like treat other people the way you want to be treated. That doesn't sound crazy, but here we go. Here's what Jesus is going to tell us today in his word, and it does sound crazy. Jesus says, uh, he said that in the church, 
We are supposed to be merciful with one another. Which sounds like, yeah, no, that, that, like, right? But you know what that means? What that means is if someone wrongs you in the church, you are not supposed to get them back. The response is if someone wrongs you in the church, like another Christian, like look over at someone, you know, someone else, and if they wrong you, your response is not supposed to be get even. You're supposed to forgive them. It means if someone's mean to you, you're supposed to bless them. Does that sound like fun? No. It sounds really hard. Why does that sound hard? What do we love? Revenge. We love justice. We love getting even. Like, like if, even if, if a Christian is mean to me, like even though they're a Christian, like I, I, that doesn't mean they deserve something good from me. They should be punished. You know, and, and, you know, of all people, other Christians should know better, right? That's how we feel. But let me ask you this. How do you feel, what do you expect when you do something wrong to someone else? Well, I would like some mercy. I would like some forgiveness. You know, when we hurt someone else and they get mad at us, we're like, come on. Like, I said I was sorry. You're supposed to forgive me. Like, that's in the Bible. You're supposed to be, like, mercy, grace. That's what we expect of others. So they should expect that of us. And how about this? What do you hope from God? What do you hope from God, the God you have wronged terribly with your sin? Do you want justice from God? Do you want God to give you justice? Do you want God to give you what you deserve? No, we cry out mercy, like mercy. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What we want from God is mercy, but here's the problem. God is just. God is totally just. And that is why he sends his son. He sends his son to suffer all the injustice that we've done. He sends Jesus to suffer all for sin. He sends Jesus to suffer the wrath of God himself, but not for his sin. He suffers for your sin, for our sin. And that is how God is both just. He really does punish sin, but it's Jesus who gets it and how God is merciful. Because Jesus takes that punishment for us, he can be merciful to us. We deserve the cross, kids, young ones. We, we really do deserve hell. Thank you, God, that we get what we don't deserve because of Jesus. And we get mercy. And y'all, what we're going to learn today is that's the mercy that we're supposed to hold out to each other here in the church. And we can do that if we know the mercy that we have in Jesus. That's the mercy, that, we, and it's only if you know that mercy that you have in Jesus that you can hold out that mercy, that you can receive that mercy from others in the church. And that's what we're called to do. We're in our series in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where we're focusing this fall, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it's not, actually not that long of a sermon, but we're, we're really dividing it up across the fall. We've come to this part in the sermon with all these commands. These commands are... This is really important. These commands are for the members of the church. And what Jesus said earlier in his sermon, it gives us the context to understand what Jesus is saying and what he is not saying. So we've got to keep coming back to this. So when he says, you're going to hear this at the beginning, when he says, you have heard it said, he is quoting directly from the Old Testament, from the Old Testament law. But he's not contradicting the Old Testament like it was wrong or like, I need to add to this Old Testament. Uh, I need to add some correction because it's not quite perfect. 
as if the new covenant and the old covenant with Israel had these different standards of holiness, God has one standard of holiness. So he's not contradicting it, but this is important. He is contrasting the new covenant situation of the church in the world and the old covenant situation of Israel as God's kingdom. And the question is, how do you apply these same standards of God's holiness and ethics in different conditions? Please stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew chapter 5. Beginning in verse 38, we're going to go through verse 48, but just so you know, these are two, you're going to hear two of the, you you have heard it said, these are two passages. We just need to hear that second one, even though we're not dealing with it today, because this Sunday, next Sunday, they really go together, kind of like part one, part two. So just to give us some more context. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. So Jesus says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He is quoting the Old Testament right there. That's justice. You can't just go around wronging people without consequence. There's consequence for hurting people. There's going to be equitable punishment. The punishment fits the crime. This is a deterrent to maintain justice and order. This is the law of the land in Israel, in the Old Testament kingdom of Israel, In the Old Testament, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, it's this principle of justice that the judges settling lawsuits, that the kings settling lawsuits used in in, uh, lawsuits and criminal cases. And some well-meaning teachers on this, when they get to this, they want to say that this right here, this eye for eye stuff, it actually made Israel the most merciful of all the ancient peoples because it limited personal revenge. And yes, the natural mode of the human heart is revenge, as in, like, if you kill my cow, at the very least, I'm going to kill your cow, uh, if not burn down your barn, you know, to teach you uh, a little lesson. But, but the kingdom of Israel was governed by eye-for-eye equitable justice, which is not merciful. It's just. That's justice. The Israelite king and his law courts maintained justice in this orderly way, and they did. That that was supposed to curb revenge. And it's not the place of the individual to take personal revenge on their attacker. That's not how they did it in Israel. Uh, And this eye-for-eye principle, it's also out there in the world. Like, if there were any Greeks standing there, and there probably were listening to Jesus, like, they've heard of this eye-for-eye stuff because it's all around the pagan nations. But the pagan nations used eye-for-eye quote, eye for eye, they used it very selectively. 
Like in the Babylonian Code of Hammurabi, maybe you've heard heard of the Code of Hammurabi. Um, it, it's supposed to be this incredible example of eye for eye justice, uh, except it depends on whose eye is being gouged out. Law two hundred. This is not the word of God. This is Hammurabi. Okay, Law two hundred. If the citizen should knock out the tooth of another citizen of his own rank, they shall knock out his tooth. Okay, I fry. Law 201, the next one. If he should knock out the tooth of a commoner, he shall weigh and deliver 20 shekels of silver. Not so eye to eye. Uh, Law 202. If a citizen shall slap the cheek of a citizen who is of a higher status than his own, he shall be flogged in the public assembly with 60 stripes of an ox whip. That's not eye for eye. How about this? Law 205. If a slave of a citizen should slap the cheek of a citizen, his ear shall be cut off. Okay. The code of Hammurabi, people will go around like, look at this incredible standard of eye for eye justice. That is a pervert. That is, that is, no. For the unbelieving world, eye for eye all depended on whose eye it was. But in Old Testament Israel, eye for eye corrects that miscarriage of justice. The Israelites, they used to be slaves in Egypt. They don't legislate as if slaves were less human. They don't take account of social status. In Old Testament Israel, if you murdered your own slave, your life was forfeit. The state would put you to death. But now Jesus comes and he says his new covenant community, the church, will not be governed by eye-for-eye principle of justice, justice as the old covenant community of the kingdom of Israel was. The church will be governed by mercy. And that's because there's a difference in situations. There is a difference in the conditions of our two societies, the church and the world and Old Testament kingdom of Israel. Israel was governed by eye-for-eye because Israel was a kingdom. It was a nation. It was God's theocratic nation on earth. The church is not a geopolitical kingdom nation on earth. The church lives in a society governed by the city of man all over the world. Israel's kingdom was governed by, this is really important, we touched on this last week, we've got to do it again this week. Israel's kingdom was governed by this specific covenant, the Mosaic covenant, that Sinai covenant, Ten Commandments, Moses uh, at Mount Sinai. That was a covenant of works with the nation of Israel. It's what made them a kingdom on earth. Saying it's a covenant of works, this is really, that does not mean an Israelite was saved by works. That's not what that means. An individual Israelite was saved by works. The only way any individual is ever saved ever since the fall is by grace through faith in God's promised Savior, which was given right after the fall to Adam and Eve. Israel's covenant of works was about how Israel, the nation of Israel, was going to hold on to the land of Canaan and be a kingdom. The way nation Israel retained the land was obey the law. Obey the law, you get to stay in the land. Don't obey the law, you're going to get kicked out of the land. That's a works arrangement. If you do the work, you get blessing, uh, which is the land of Canaan. You get a king, and you get to be God's people on, on earth. You get to be this nation. If you don't do the works of the law, you get the curses of the covenant. You get judgment. You lose the land. You go into exile. You lose your king. You're no longer this nation. Uh, and this is this. Jesus comes, and Jesus says, yeah, that Mosaic law, it's fulfilled now. It's done in Jesus 
All that stuff is fulfilled. So now that's the old covenant. The theocracy is over, and he has come with a new arrangement. He has come with a new covenant to point to what that old covenant was always pointing to. The people of God are no longer a theocratic nation on this earth. They're in a new situation. Now they're the church. They're a family. They're a sojourning people in this world on all, and all over the world on their way to their true home, which is heaven, which is what Canaan was always pointing to. So, uh, uh, it, back in Israel, the question is, if you're back in Israel, like, how are we going to hold on to this kingdom land? It's obedience. It's, uh, if we're in a work situation, we've got to hold on to this land and still be God's kingdom people. Uh, if we're going to do this, we've got to be just. We've got we to follow the law. There's a principle of justice here. That's how we get the land. So we've got to be just with one another. And if not, if we don't uphold justice, and if we're not meeting injustice with justice, God's going to come with his justice on our injustice. That's being governed by a principle of justice. The church's situation is different. We've got to be just with each other, yes, but, but our retaining God's kingdom blessings right now, it does not rely on our justice. It relies on God's grace. It relies on mercy and grace. And, and, and again, hold on to that. We're going to fill that out more next week when we come to that next passage. But uh, in the theocracy of Israel, Israelites... We're supposed to treat fellow Israelites with equitable justice. And as this next passage here indicates, uh, Israelites were not supposed to treat non-Israelites with justice. They were supposed to treat them like enemies within Canaan during the conquest, or it, that, that's a very specific type of justice. Among Israelites in the nation of Israel, what this means is you might have a personal enemy. If you're back in Israel, you might have a personal enemy within Israel. A fellow Israelite might be your personal enemy. How do you treat them? With justice, with equitable justice. You owe them equitable justice. But Jesus is saying that now in the church, members in the church who wrong one another, we should not seek equitable justice with each other. We should be loving and merciful. Eye for eye justice in itself, that is not sinful. And Israel being governed by eye for eye is not a lower standard of holiness compared to like our new covenant ethics. It's just God has one standard of holiness. It's a difference in situations. It's a difference in conditions. Old Testament theocracy, new covenant church. Uh, and, and let's say this. That does not mean that there is, this is where this passage can be taken way out of context and misapplied. It does not mean there is no provision for justice in today's world since Israel. Because Jesus and the rest of the New Testament is really, really clear in other parts of the Bible that it's, it's this what we call the city of man, call it the state, call it world governments, whatever you want to call it. World governments are tasked with this securing equitable justice thing. Your local, your state, your, your national, your global intergovernmental organizations, they're supposed to govern in the world with eye-for-eye eye equitable justice. That's what we want for them. And in the church, Christians are supposed to respect and submit to that authority, that government authority. This is really clear in Romans 13. The apostle Paul says this. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And he's talking about Rome. 
For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. The state, you know, the ending of the old covenant theocracy of Israel and this thing where you're in the church and you're in the world now, God has instituted those state governments. Those exist because they've been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what's good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He's the servant of God, an avenger, who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. There is supposed to be eye for eye equitable justice in the world. That is a good thing. And of course, every government on earth, like Babylonian Hammurabi, perverts equitable justice. For every government on earth, it all depends on whose eye it is. You see this in, in the great nation of America. Uh, but it is their God-given job, not the churches, to mete out justice between people. Which also means... Uh, it's, not the individ- it's not up to the individual or a group of vigilante citizens uh, to take justice into their own hands, which means you got to resist that urge for revenge, not just in the church, but also in society. And that's hard because we love our revenge movies. We love our revenge stories, Keanu being Keanu Wick and Denzel equalizing things and, you know, the Avengers and the Count of Monte Cristo and Batman. Uh, like, uh, we are only satisfied when the bad guy gets his comeuppance. Comeuppance! I want the comeuppance! When someone wrongs you, you don't have to, like, you don't have to think about it. Hmm, I think I'll take my revenge. It's just, it's automatic. Hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Like, that's the thing you've got to resist. The, this early 20th century Austrian psychoanalyst, uh, Sigmund Freud, this is how he described the uh, default mode of the human heart. He said, one must forgive one's enemies, preferably after they've been hanged. That's in all of us. But, again, that is not to say you don't have the right to seek justice in the world through our government. This is where this passage gets misapplied. You, it's not, you don't have to lay down and be a doormat for people who are abusing you. Uh, you have the right to protect yourself. You have the right to protect your family. You have the right to protect, protect a vulnerable neighbor, a vulnerable stranger who is under violent attack. You have that right. Now the, and this is where it gets misapplied. What Jesus is saying here, as if Jesus was saying, Christians can never seek justice in the world. That's not what he's talking about. What he's saying, for members of the church, please hear this, for members of the church, when you're relating to people outside the church, in the world, other conditions might apply. Okay, that would require, what you need is discernment to know when equitable justice would be the right thing to do or when to extend mercy would be the right thing to do. And and again, we've got to leave that there for now, put a pin in it, we'll return to more of that next week. But Jesus' concern here is how members of the church are supposed to treat members of the church. A slap on the cheek is an insult. It's not like you're being violently attacked. It's an insult. And Jesus means when someone insults you, it must not be your concern to save face. 
We don't care about our honor. There must not be any concern on your part to salvage your honor or this thing of dignity. Turning the other cheek, giving the tunic, going the extra mile means, what it means is you do not close off the relationship when someone in the church offends you. When someone wrongs you, the world's approach is, I will never again give you the opportunity to offend me again. How dare you? I cut you off. I don't want to be around you. I don't want to look at you. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want anything to do with you. We're done. Relationship over. The Christian's response is, it's still calling good good and evil evil. That's really important. Like That's entailed in mercy. You can't be merciful if everything is just relative. If our response was just like, water under the bridge, no big deal. That's not, that's not mercy. That's just relativism of like, nothing's important. There's no good, there's no bad, there's no right, there's no wrong. You can't be merciful if everything is relative. No, mercy entails this, hey, what you did is wrong, but I'm not going to abandon you. What you did is wrong, I'm not going to cut you off. What you did is wrong, but I'm not going to demand a pound of flesh from you. What you did is wrong, uh, and I'm not going to be okay with you uh, or enabling you to keep on wronging me or other people, but when you're ready for a relationship, I'll be here. I am here. And that ethic, it, that ethic of mercy, it does not make us victims. This ethic does not make us doormats. It does not mean you're supposed to be an enabler of abuse. It, 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 what Jesus is saying here is it's not impossible for there to be infighting in the church. But it's not supposed to be that way. There's supposed to be peace. And we live in a very litigious society. And people are jealous and zealous to protect their own individual rights. You'll know the, you know the cancel culture. You know it. Like, you know this form of boycotting. You know how to, we, you know, our society knows how to ostracize people and groups if society or, you know, members of society deem that you've, you've acted, you've spoken in a controversial, unacceptable manner, you're just, you're out. Uh, and, and if we, it's, it's so easy to hold on to grudges. It's so easy to hold on to grudges and, and demand payback. And that stuff gets in the church and it's not supposed to get into the church. We can't let it get into the church. When it gets into the church, we need to repent it's not fitting, it's not right for the people of God who claim God is their merciful Father to not be merciful with one another. When we make mistakes, it's supernatural. It's like what we said to the kids, when we make mistakes, when I make a mistake, well, of course I expect mercy and forgiveness. But when someone wrongs me, how dare they? And, you know, let's, let's make sure they pay, and it's for their own good. They need to learn. Uh, it's, it's so easy to go that way. It's so easy. It's so easy to be gracious with people we don't know. And then you go home. <laughs> it's so easy to be gracious with strangers. You know, the guy, even the guy who cuts you off, it, it's easy to be like, you know what? He's in a hurry. Go in peace. And then you go home and you get around those family people or you get around a friend and they do that thing that just undoes you. We have the least amount of mercy and grace for those people we know the best. And it's, this, we, it's because we expect better from them because they should know better. 
The truth is, though, y'all, here are the expectations. Look around. Those people next to you are screwed up. Those people next to you, they're messed up. And so are you. That's what this is. This is a gathering of messed up people that are going to be messed up together. Remembering that, we should expect that the people here, they need mercy. And we need to be ready to give it to them. And then we've got to accept one another apologies and forgive out of that mercy that we have received from, uh, from Jesus. Now, I'm going to try to illustrate this and bring this all home right here. Don't, don't, don't go away. Don't get up and leave, physically or mentally. Like, if you go back to Genesis, and that's immediately where people are like, that's it, I'm out. Okay, don't. Okay, stay right there. If you go back to Genesis, there's this fall with Adam and Eve, right? And, and then their eldest son, Cain, murders his younger brother, Abel. And it looks like the whole world is going to devolve into total injustice and anarchy. And, and, and God come, Cain thinks, that's it. It's, you know, everyone's like, well, that's it. And God comes, and he promises it is this really crazy, awesome, interesting thing. He says, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. God's sevenfold justice, that sevenfold is a symbol of divine creator justice as opposed to onefold equitable human justice. Then generations later, after God gives this, 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 uh, this oath of like no sevenfold justice, there's going to be there. Later in Genesis 4, there's a man, there's an ancient king, there's this tyrant, who, his name's Lamech. And this is what he says. He says, Lamech said to his wives, Adam and Zillah, hear my voice, the wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So here's Lamech boasting of his bigamy, which means marrying two women, so he scorns God's institution of marriage. But then he boasts of his own measure of eye-for-eye justice. This is where did that stuff, Hammurabi, you know, where does it go? Here. Like he, he scorns God's measure of eye-for-eye justice among people. People are supposed to have one-fold eye-for-eye justice with each other. He says he kills a man for insulting him. And then he goes farther. Not only does he boast of his own eye-for-eye justice, he claims divine justice for himself. He boasts and he claims that he's a divine king. He mocks God saying, the creator God avenges himself sevenfold. <laughs> what is that? I avenge myself 77-fold. He is claiming to be a super God over the creator God. He exalts himself above God, hating God in his divine justice. Okay, that's Genesis. Come back with me to Matthew. Come back with me to Matthew. If you fast forward a little bit in Matthew, Jesus is once again talking about mercy and accountability with the church. And Peter asks him, okay, wait, how many times should I forgive my brother when he wrongs me? Seven times? And Jesus says, no, I tell you not seven times, forgive him 77 times. Jesus purposely is bringing that Genesis 4 thing back up with Peter to say, he takes this Lamech antichrist principle of justice and he throws it on its head. And he transforms and he shatters Peter's and our own principles of justice and mercy on their head. You don't forgive others who wrong you seven times. You don't avenge yourself on those who wrong you 77 times. The principle of God's kingdom is that you forgive 77 times. You forgive to the utmost. Wronging a person, it deserves one-fold eye-for-eye justice. Wronging God deserves sevenfold creator justice. 
And this is where this is also this contrast with Israel. In Old Testament Israel, Israelites who called for worshiping other gods, they were to be treated as enemies of God. And it said that they were treated with God's sevenfold justice, which means they were put to death as a picture, as a, a signifying of condemnation. Jesus' 77-fold forgiveness, that is a symbol of divine creator mercy and grace, which is possible because he takes that sevenfold justice on himself. You forgive others because you already know the grace of God that's covered over your wrongs. You are enabled to forgive others because you know the immeasurable riches of the mercy of your Father in heaven who sent his Son to die for you to suffer his sevenfold justice. Because you know the great love of the Son, Jesus Christ, who came willingly to take that for you in order to forgive you to the utmost. Because you know that debt, because you know that Savior, you can forgive like this. Over and over and over, you can forgive to the utmost because you know your forgiveness, because you know your Savior, because you know the justice that has been taken in your place, and you know that you have all the grace, this inexhaustible grace for you, which you can give to others. Let's pray. Father, uh, our shortcomings and our tra transgressions, there is too many to count today. It's too many to count, and we're not aware of it. The sins that we have committed just this morning, uh, and uh, it's, we're guilty. We're guilty of pride. We're, we're guilty of fear. This is why we praise you, and this is why we come seeking your mercy and your grace, because you don't stand against us, because you've laid it all on Jesus, and you promise uh, that your, for, your forgiveness, it is complete. It is fuller than we know. Uh, make us that kind of people that know that kind of forgiveness, that it would so overflow, that we would so overflow with your grace and your mercy, that that's how we would respond when our brothers and sisters hear, when we wrong each other, that we would, we would hold out that mercy, that we all here know, we know your mercy. Help us to hold it out and to receive it from one another. Uh, make us a merciful people, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.